Heavenly Father, we just do thank you for Jeff and, and all the things that you have done through him up till now and all the things that you have planned ahead for him. He's just been a, a wonderful, wonderful servant of you, Lord, and we will reap the benefit of that through the words that you have for him this morning. And help us to hear not only with our ears but with our hearts and with our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning. Very nice to be here and see some old faces and some new faces. <coughs> and especially, yes. It's good to have testimonies of what God is doing in people's lives. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so um, very happy to be here and I was given an enthusiastic welcome from David Parker as the minister of the old Liverpool Baptist Church. <laughs> I used to be the old minister, now it's the old Liverpool Baptist Church. That's good. Good to see Christine. And... Um, that song just brought back memories because a few years ago I took my niece and nephew to India and uh, my niece has a beautiful voice and all around India she sang that song, How Great Is Our God. And some places we were like in the Hindu school or a Hindu temple nearby and just to be able to sing How Great Is Our God in a context where people think there are 330 million gods, although they say it's increasing daily, um, and of course all those gods are false but there is just, just the one God and great to be able to sing that how great is our God and uh, I mustn't have quite readjusted back to Australia yet I just spent another six weeks in India not long ago so if the service is advertised for 9.30 it means you start at 10.30, 11, maybe 11.30 <laughs> Duncan wouldn't go with that wouldn't he? <laughs> And also, of course, the sermon is at least an hour, nothing less than an hour, an hour and a half, so sit back and... No, I'll try to keep it short. The main question I want to ask you this morning is, as you reflect back on last year, think ahead to this new year, do you know God better now than you did a year ago? And I have to ask myself the same question. Do we know God better now than we did a year ago because the main uh, objective, main aim of any human being should be to know God because he's our creator everything holds together because of him, we're here because of him and he ha holds our future destiny in his hands eternity in his hands so 
the most important person we can get to know in this universe is God. And I wonder how much effort we're putting into actually getting to know God. We put effort into lots of other things, but how much do we put effort into getting to know God? And um, we know that around the world, you know, because we get bombarded with the news so quickly now, you, you open your Facebook or anything on the internet and you bang, 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 there's all these news articles headed by Donald Trump, of course, he's always in the news, but... Uh, it can make people very anxious because there's so many things happening in the world with North Korea and things like that. And then in our own country, the way things are changing, uh, it's not the same country I grew up in. So change happening all the time and sometimes you wonder, well, who's really in charge? Is Donald Trump in charge? Is North Korea or who? Well, when we know that God is in charge, it gives us a stability of life. Things can be very uncertain around us, a bit sometimes being, maybe you get swept out in the surf, you know, and you're getting tossed around by the waves and out of control, but really God's in control. And the message I want to bring this morning is from the book of Daniel, and it just demonstrates that God has his eternal plans. He's made his plans long before he made the earth. He made his plans for us. And he's been carrying out those plans from day one when he first created light and right through to the end, uh, well, there will be no end for us to trust in him. So seeing how God has made his plans and carried them out in great detail gives us confidence to know that, yes, he's in charge today and he's carrying out his plans. Now, We've just been through Christmas and New Year celebrations and we're coming up Australia Day celebrations. But along the way there, there was another festival that um, most people in Australia didn't take much notice of. The Jewish people would have. It's the festival of Hanukkah. And um, it's symbolised by the eight candles. So Hanukkah is a Jewish festival which goes right back to about 166 BC, 166 years before Christ. And it's uh, celebrating the liberation of Israel, the liberation of Jerusalem especially from what was called the Seleucid Empire, the um, Syrian emperor back in those days, and the rededication of the temple. And I'm just going to go into a bit of detail in that because it's um, something which God gave a revelation or a vision to Daniel about in advance. And it's one of the most detailed prophecies in all of Scripture. Now, actually, I've probably spoken about this here before, maybe 20 years ago, because I went right through the book of Daniel back then. But the good thing is, all the new people weren't not here then. And the older ones who are my age generation will have forgotten anyway. They will have forgotten what they did this morning. <laughs> but uh, I'm fascinated by this festival of Hanukkah. And it's uh, celebrated by the, the lighting of these eight candles. And uh, some of the features of it, the next picture, thanks, um, is the lighting of the candles. Next picture. Oh, it's there. Oh, the next one, sorry. Yeah, next one. That's it. So some of the main features of this celebration are lighting candles, feasting, and giving gifts. That sound familiar? And interestingly, it happens on the 25th day 
of the 12th month of the Jewish calendar. Does that sound familiar? The 25th day of the 12th month, you light candles, you have lots of feasting and give presents to each other. But this started 166 years before Christ, a long time before Christmas even thought of. And of course the 12th year of the Jewish calendar, sorry, the 12th month of the Jewish calendar doesn't coincide always with December because it follows the lunar calendar which only has 30 days in each month and 360 days a year. Much easier to remember, isn't it? Instead of 30 days of September, April, June, November. Uh, 30 days in each month and only 360 days in the year. So sometimes it will fall the end of November, sometimes early December, late December. Actually last year it fell on the 25th of December, so it coincided with Christmas Day. So I just wonder sometimes whether that's where we got our idea of Christmas and giving presents and candles and things like that. But the background of this uh, festival of Hanukkah will go right back to when the Jews were first taken into exile. And um, by God's wonderful provision, Daniel was taken captive 19 years before all the rest of the people were. And so he was able to get into a good position of respect and um, trust by the king before God then brought the rest of the people of Israel there. So even though God was punishing his people or disciplining them, he still took care of them, put Daniel in this very high position and so that they could be taken care of. That's a long story. But then in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and we'll have a look at the next one, thanks. And um, Daniel was called in to give an interpretation of this dream because God the Holy Spirit had given him wisdom and insight in interpreting the dream. And this statue had a head of gold, the... Um, chest and arms of silver and the waist of um, bronze and then the two legs of iron and then the feet iron and clay. And uh, at the time that Daniel was giving the interpretation of the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar was the king and the Babylonian Empire was in charge. And he said, Daniel said to the king, you are that head of gold, you know, you are a great glorious king um, great empire and very wealthy as well. And then he went through and he gave the interpretation. He said, after you will come another kingdom, inferior, you know, silver, not quite as uh, good as gold, especially on the, the market these days, and it will have two arms to it, and that came to be, even in Daniel's lifetime that happened, that the Medo-Persian Empire came into being, took over the Babylonian Empire. Then he said, after you will come another one and um, we now know as we look back that that was the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great and uh, that happened after Daniel had died. And then he said, after you will come this very fierce, uh, strong empire and that was the one of iron, the Roman Empire. And then after that will come this empire of feet, uh, feet the iron mixed with clay which has a bit of strength to it, but it's also very brittle, isn't it? And well, some people interpret that as democracy these days, but there's all sorts of ways we can interpret that. So these things happened just as Daniel had prophesied, as, as God had given revelation to Daniel. And uh, in chapter 7 and 8 of Daniel, he gives more details. So God just expands on the same vision 
and gives more details about Alexander the Great. And uh, then he says after Alexander the Great dies, well, he didn't actually give his name, but it obviously refers to him. It, it predicts exactly the kind of activity that Alexander the Great did. In one of the chapters, he's depicted as a leopard and a swift-running animal. That, and Alexander the Great just covered so much territory and took over so many empires. At the age of 33, he was very depressed. He had no more empires to conquer. He'd already conquered them all. Amazing. But uh, after his death, in Daniel chapter 7 and 8, it said it will be divided into four. And that's exactly what happened. So just press the next button, thanks. And uh, so after Alexander the Great died, quite a young age, his empire was divided. And uh, wow. It's hard to read that, isn't it? Into these four kind of kingdoms um, Macedonia which is there near Greece used to take in some parts of Greece and then Thrace kind of takes in Bulgaria, Turkey, that sort of area and then the Seleucid which takes in quite a big uh, area Syria, Iraq, Iran, all that area and then the Ptolemy it was Egypt and all that southern part. So there were these four generals in charge of those four empires. You'll see why, where I'm getting to soon. Now, in general chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, there is so much detail about what was going to happen and now we can look back in history and see, yeah, that's exactly what happened, that there are scholars, you might call them, who say, oh, well, the book of Daniel must have been written about 200 BC, you know, after these things happened. Because nobody could give prophecy in such detail. You know, they talk about Nostradamus giving prophecies about things, different things, but uh, because Daniel's prophecies were so detailed and now we can look back and see that they happened exactly like that, that's why people say, oh, he must have written it after the event and then pretend that it was a prophecy. But we know that, of course, God revealed to him what God's plans were. Well, sometimes you might say it's not exactly God's plans because God does not do evil, but he lets us know in advance what's going to happen. Some of the evil people who do stuff, you know, attack each other and kill each other. It's not God's plan, but he knows it's going to happen. But then he tells how he's going to work out his plan in spite of that, in spite of what humans do to each other. And all along, especially through the Old Testament and then also into the New Testament, a central part of God's plan was Israel. And God constantly looked after his people. Even though they disobeyed him, they turned their backs on him, they went after other gods, God had made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, that he was going to take care of his people and establish an eternal kingdom coming out of his people. And so all through these uh, prophecies and then the events of history that happen, we see God taking care of his people, Israel, in remarkable ways. So when this kingdom was divided into four, Israel was allocated to the southern part, the Egyptian empire, came under the Egyptian empire. 
but then the what we might call the Syrian Empire, they decided they wanted a piece of that and they started making inroads into Israel and trying to encourage or entice the Israelite people to sort of side with them against the Egyptian Empire. And one of the great uh, leaders of that Syrian Empire, his name is Antiochus III, he actually encouraged the Israelite people to practice their religion, to practice the worship of Jehovah, offering sacrifices in the temple. He was smart enough to know that if you try to counteract that, try to get rid of that, you're going to get a lot of opposition. Just like China used to prohibit uh, selling Bibles and distributing Bibles and having churches and having Bible colleges and things like that. And the result was the church grew from 1 million to 100 million. So, you know, persecution doesn't work. So now they kind of work along with the Christian church to the point that the Bible Society are actually printing Bibles in China. Quite a remarkable turnaround. Anyway, the um, some of the Israelite leaders started to sort of side with this northern empire, but the southern empire didn't like that. And so there was a lot of toing and froing. And if we can look at the next map, so the big uh, pinkish, purplish coloured bit, that's the Syrian Empire, covered a big area. And then down the south there you've got the Ptolemaic Kingdom, Egypt, in the south. And at that time they included Israel as part of theirs. So press the next button, thanks, and we'll see Israel there in the middle. And this northern kingdom and southern kingdom kept on constantly trying to take over Israel and also take over each other's territory. And so the northern army would march down to the south, the southern army would march up to the north and guess who was in between? (laughs) Israel was a bit like a football field with these guys kicking a ball at each other across Israel. Sometimes they used Israel as the football so Israel used to cop that all the time, these armies marching backwards and forwards, fighting each other. And uh, then after the what they call Antiochus the Great, who was the emperor of that northern part, the big pinkish colour one, uh, came his son. He was a very bad egg. Antiochus Epiphanes. With a name like that, you can understand him growing up with a bit of a complex, saying Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphany means, you know, it's like a a vision of God or an appearance of God. So he kind of had this concept, a growing concept, that he was like God and he threw his weight around as if he was too. Now in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it starts to talk about this particular part of history. And I'll just read from that. From verse 27, Both these kings, so we've got the north king and the south king, shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper. So sometimes they would try to get together to negotiate, but they lied to each other, of course. That doesn't happen today, does it, in politics? But their plans will not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. 
These guys think they're organising their plans, but God says there's an appointed time. I've made the time when things are going to happen. It's not going to happen before that. And then while returning to his land, this is the northern king with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant. That's God's people, the holy covenant. God had made a contract, an agreement, a covenant with the people of Israel. So he shall do damage and return to his own land. Now what actually happened was Antiochus Epiphanes III, he went down to Egypt, tried to have a battle there, but lost. And then on his way home, with his tail between his legs, going up through Israel, what do you do when you're angry? You know, when you're disappointed, you've lost. You kick a can, right? (laughs) I don't. Kick the wheel of your car, whatever, you know. Hopefully you don't kick your spouse, but uh, some people might do that too. But, you know, you want to vent your anger on somebody. I hope none of you do, but some people do that. And so this guy, he was angry because he'd lost to the Egyptian army, And so he wanted to vent his anger somewhere, so he vented it on the Israelite people. And he sent his armies down and started raiding Israel and killing, massacring people all over the place just because he was in a bad mood. It also says in verse 30, For ships from Cyprus shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Covenant and do damage. So he just finished fighting with Rome, sorry, Egypt and then the ships come across the Mediterranean Sea and it says from Cyprus, the original says Kittim, some people think it might be from around the Greek island or Rome even, might have been ships from Rome. Some people even interpret Kittim as being England. I don't know what ships from England were doing down there at that time but anyway, some ships came and he got frightened and he ran away back to his home country but on the way he kicked Israel and then he says so shall he return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant this is Daniel chapter 11 verse 30 so he comes back down to Israel from his home country and looks for people who have not been faithful to God so Israelite people who are not faithful to God people who have forsaken the covenant the covenant was God said I'm going to look after you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, provide for you. What I want you to do is follow the Ten Commandments. And the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make graven images and worship them as gods. Often Israel did that over the centuries. So there were people in Israel who were doing that, had forsaken the Holy Covenant and sort of were open to the idea of worshipping other gods. And so what Antiochus did was he then made a law because he he still had control over Israel and the law was that you were not allowed to offer any offerings to worship Jehovah. And they used to make these offerings in the temple in Jerusalem but then there were other priests out in the provincial areas. People couldn't get to the temple every day. It's a long walk, especially carrying a sheep. And so they had offerings up in the regional areas as well. And so all the high priests and all the priests were ordered not to give any more sacrifices to Jehovah. And because people wanted to keep their jobs and uh, didn't want to get killed and things like that, some of them went along with that. 
He says in verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. He shall corrupt with flattery. Uh, we don't know what that flattery was, but um, maybe offering some kind of reward, position, prestige, money, financial gain. And that's a real trap for Christians today, isn't it? You're in your workplace. There are things which the company is doing or with plans to do which we know are not according to God's will. They're not morally right according to God's will and uh, we might be in a bit of a conflict about whether we should go along with those things. But if you're offered maybe a promotion, if you do go along with it, better money, some sort of position, even people in Christian organisations and churches are sometimes offered position, money, if they would just do things in a bit of an underhanded way, you know, a bit of corruption here and there. So it's not something which only happened back in Daniel's day, it's been happening down through the centuries. Now, when an army comes and says, we are atheists, we don't believe in God, we're going to fight against these Christians, Christians have often been willing to stand up and, well, we shouldn't be, be fighting really, but anyway, to they can see very clearly this is the enemy there against God. But when it comes in this other subtle form of financial gain or if you don't go along with it, financial loss, lose your job, whatever. I have a friend down in um, Albion Park worked for a particular telecom. I won't tell you the name, it just starts with O and ends in S. And... um, he was the one who was um, given the job of getting contracts with big corporations for this telecom company. And he, he, gave, he scored a great uh, coup, you might say. He got on board a very big company which would have brought a lot of money into this telco. And um, he very proudly bought the contracts and that, showed the boss... And then the boss said, okay, you've got that contract. They've already signed. These are the terms and conditions and everything. Now he wants you to change it. And which would mean an advantage to the telco. And the company would lose out. He thought about that. He said, no, I can't do that. He's a Christian. In fact, he became a leader in the church down there. He's a Christian. He couldn't just lie and change the contract for financial gain for the company. So he was asked to leave the room and leave the job. Of course, it was really unfair dismissal. He he fought against that too because he was supposed to give about a month or something like that. Now, he'd been trying for a long time to get a job at one stage and he finally got this job and uh, it was going well and he was getting some good contracts for this telco company and then because he took a stand against corruption, deceit, he was kicked out, lost his job. Um, that's when it really hurts, doesn't it? When it hurts your pocket. And that's the challenge for us Christians in today's world because there are many companies out there and even government policies and things which might cause us to have to do things which are not in God's will. 
Okay, so this Antiochus Epiphanes persuaded some of these Jewish priests and the high priests to stop giving offerings to Jehovah. Worse than that, he did something terrible. What's the worst thing you could do to insult a Jew? What do you think? What would be the worst thing you could think of to insult a Jew and tear them and put them offside? He took a pig and sacrificed it in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem to the god Zeus, the pagan god Zeus, supposed to be the father of God. Sacrifice a pig in the temple in Jerusalem to the pagan god Zeus. Well, that was a bit too much. And there was a priest out in the countryside named Mathathias who objected. First of all, he refused to stop offering sacrifices to Jehovah, but now when this guy has done this, that was too much. And so he got his five sons and started to round up people to fight back against this uh, pagan regime. And in Daniel it said, They shall defile, defile the sanctuary, they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. That's Daniel chapter 11 verse 31. So this is written 300 years before the events happened and says... They shall defile the sanctuary. They shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So I think that's the next slide. The people who know their God... Can you read that? I'll have to put it in white printing next time, hey? I think it comes out different colours on different computers. But that's the key thing. The people who know their God will stand firm and do great exploits. And in today's world, it's essential that we know God, know his plans. And we can only know that from the scriptures and from Genesis to Revelation. We see God's plans and God working out his plans. And it's exciting to have seen what he's already fulfilled especially through Jesus Christ, but in lots of other details too, and then know that the plans he has for our future, he will fulfil just as surely. So this fellow Mathathias rounded up his sons and they led a revolt, a rebellion against the Seleucid Empire and it took a long time. They um, fought very strongly for a couple of years. But because they had such strong faith in God, they, they knew that this was not God's will, that you stop offering sacrifices for sin and that you start offering sacrifices to false gods. They knew that that wasn't part of God's will. And so because they knew God and his plans, they were able to stand firm. Now, I don't know if they actually read the book of Daniel, but uh, one legend is, for example, with Alexander the Great, that when he visited Jerusalem the scribes actually read to him the book of Daniel pointing out to him this prophecy about him, Alexander the Great, because it had been written several hundred years before. And he also was a person who allowed the Jews to continue their worship of Jehovah. Anyway, the, the, these, uh, this family were called the Maccabees. 
and they the ones that fought against the Seleucid Empire, led a victory and um, were able to reinstate the worship of Jehovah there in the temple. But they actually went to the point of tearing down the old altar because it had been corrupted, sacrificing a pig, and um, they rebuilt a new altar and cleansed the whole temple and had a day of rededicating the temples, celebrating God's victory and to bring back the worship of the true God, Jehovah, back to the temple where they could make their sacrifices to God. And uh, that became what was called the, the festival of Hanukkah and started way back there in the 25th of the 12th month, which is Kislev in 164 B.C., so it was a day of great rejoicing and so the Jewish people have celebrated that ever since. They celebrate it still today all around the world. Jewish people celebrate the festival of Hanukkah because God gave them a great victory. This was the first time that they actually had independence from a foreign power since before they had been taken into exile in Babylon. So a long time they had been under the domination of other powers. Now they had independence only for a short, well, a hundred years or so before the Roman Empire started to rear its ugly head and start to take over. The thing is that it's because their knowledge of God's word and because their knowledge of God that they were willing to take this stand and God gave them a victory because they, it was God's will that they be able to worship him, Jehovah, the only God, and not to defile him or the, the temple with these false gods. So knowing God is the most important thing we can uh, aim for in life. So just very briefly, how can... Well, first of all, a statement by Jesus. In his prayer before he was to be crucified, the night before he was to be crucified, in John chapter 17, Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, real life, eternal life, life with, with quality is knowing God. And the Apostle Paul said in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I know whom I have believed. We sing that, don't we? I know whom I have believed. He didn't say, I know what I have believed, although, of course, he writes a lot about what he believes, doctrine, but it's, it's not just doctrine that we put our faith in is the person of God. I know God, he said. I know whom I have believed. So God is not just a doctrine, he's a living being. And then in Philippians chapter 3, he wrote his own personal testimony. He said his main purpose in life is to know Jesus Christ. Everything else, his academic qualifications, his skills, his accomplishments meant nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. So how can we know God? First of all through creation around us. I'm very lucky. I live out in the country, a little place called Joadja, surrounded by sheep and cattle and paddocks. And we can actually see the stars at night and it's beautiful to, to look at the stars and the hills and the forests and things that God has made. But as you know, we live in such a beautiful country, it's it's great to admire that, but just remember that God has created it. And in Romans chapter 1, um, 
Paul said, people who claim there is no God are without excuse because his qualities, his nature is demonstrated in the things he's made there in nature. So we know God through his creation. When we look at this great world, this universe, we have to ask the question, well, who made it? Not that it happened by accident. And then secondly, we can know God through his word and Jesus said to the Pharisees, aren't you making mistakes? You know, aren't you, in Mark chapter 12, verse 24, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures? And even so many Christians, I go to India and I hear people preaching weird stuff which they got from the internet. And these days the internet is so dangerous, you know, I believe very little of what I read on the internet, except when Sue Penny writes a blog. But um, so many weird philosophies out there. We have to get back to the scriptures. And Jesus said, are you not in error? There's too many people are preaching from the pulpits these days. Error, because they do not know the scriptures, they do not teach the scriptures. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God. But of course the main way we know God is through Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So we have wonderful description of Jesus in the Gospels and in the epistles as well. And this is how we can get to know God better by getting to know Jesus Christ. And then we have in Romans chapter 2 verse 15 the verse which speaks about his spirit bearing witness with us. So that do we belong to him? And uh, there's that inner sense that there is God and we belong to him because we've already entered into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So the Maccabees who are still the heroes of the Jewish people to today um, they were able to stand firm as Daniel had prophesied and take action. We need to pray for wisdom for the appropriate action because they knew their God. So next little button, thanks. Is it there already? There should be some other words there, aren't there? Is it? Yeah, but there's another verse underneath. Anyway, the verse is from that Daniel chapter 11 verse 32 the people who know their God will stand firm and take action so can I encourage you to make it your aim this year to get to know God more so that this time next year you can look back and say yes I know God better now than I did a year ago because that's the main purpose in life really and that gives us the stability when everything else is so uncertain and shaking around us Knowing God gives us that stability. Whether it's personal tragedies, personal challenges, or whether it's on a worldwide scale, God has his plans and is still in charge. Now, many of you know the oratorio, The Messiah, written by George Frederick Handel. And um, he also wrote other oratorios. And he wrote one called Joshua. And one of the pieces which is from that, which has become a very popular tune, was called See the Conquering Hero Comes. 
And that was about Joshua. And it became such a popular song, he thought, and then when he wrote his next, another oratorio, he wrote one called Judas Maccabeus, which is about this family who rebelled against the Syrian Empire and liberated Jerusalem, liberated the temple and reinstated the worship of Jehovah in the temple. So there's a whole oratorio called Judas Maccabeus. So he just borrowed his previous tune from the one about Joshua and brought it into Judas Maccabeus, See the Conquering Hero Comes. Well, many years later, a Frenchman wrote some good Christian words to that and it is the song we know as Thine Be the Glory, Risen Conquering Son. So instead of singing about Joshua or Judas Maccabeus, we're singing about Jesus, the conquering hero. And um, it's one of the a very favourite melody that's uh, sung in many different situations. We normally sing that song at Easter, don't we? Uh, Resurrection Sunday. Thine be the glory, risen conquering sun. The Irish sing it at um, Christmas time. That, that's the Irish for it. But of course, singing about Jesus is appropriate any season, isn't it? Whether it's Christmas, Easter or whenever. We're going to sing that song together now, I believe. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering sun. And 